Hello and welcome to the Conscious Consulting Podcast, where business meets wisdom. Once a month, our senior advisors from all around the world come together to explore trending topics and enrich current conversations from diverse backgrounds like psychotherapy, Taoism, holism, Buddhism, modern science and business. In this episode, we share our conversation about the future of work and the relationship with ourselves, nature and machines. So sit back, relax and enjoy a wonderful new episode on the Conscious Consulting Podcast. When I think about the shift from the industrial age, the world of work to produce goods, to the information age, it's about information, it's about experience, about movies, it's about podcasts, it's about this connectivity. It seems that there is a shift in the machines are going to be doing more of the industrial stuff. And and aware people are going to be asking questions about what is meaningful in respect of where they put and employ their energy in the world of work. And so I'm thinking about it that, that energy is seen as the capacity to do work. So there is organization is what brings all of existence into being. It's work. So work, I think, can be fundamentally redefined from being doing a job to get a salary so you can pay the rent or pay your bond to actually seeing that work is life. Work is life organizing itself, and we are part of that. So as we shift from this age of information to the age of awareness, we're going to be asking more fundamental questions about what we're doing with our energy and why we're doing that. And so in a way, what, what our teacher was saying, the shift from the age, from schooling in the industrial age to schooling in the, in the information age to schooling in the awareness age, I think he's right. I think that our work is increasingly going to focus on the quality of consciousness that is actually employing technology to do The, the tasks that can be done in a linear, logical fashion. And we're going to be liberated into doing more meaningful stuff, meaning making stuff. But at the same time, it's going to be calling on us to raise our game fundamentally. And so when I think of business, and I'm coming to an end, when I think of business, I'm reframing business to busyness. It's activity, it's action, it's organization, it's creating structure. And then, of course, the whole regenerative nature in that structure. But ultimately, the whole focus on coherence is a focus on allowing things to come into a state of improved resonance, synchronization, creativity. And so, coherence as the Focus of work brings me to the statement by, by uh, the prophet Khalil Gibran, where the great teacher said, uh, speak to us of work. And he said, if you cannot work with love, he says, it's better to beg in the marketplace. Because work, he said, is love made manifest. So I think from a philosophical and metaphysical and spiritual frame we want to change our minds about what work is and we want to see it as a fundamental property of life itself and we are work in process and those are my opening thoughts around this idea of the future
what I would like to bring as a contribution to this conversation um, is, is through love lock work um, and this idea of novice, um, which is basically the idea that um, the next big step in artificial intelligence will be machine programming themselves. Already, already we have various forms of machine learning in which like the, the sheer abundance of data uh, that the machine can handle um, creates uh, possibilities which were, would otherwise not be available. Uh, but that's only the first step because um, the next one is when the machine starts teaching itself. And we've seen this in like computers that play chess, computers that play Go, uh, and the, the most refined of these uh, didn't need to learn about how to play Go. They just played Go with itself until the machine had become like unbeatable to any human uh, player. Um, the, the major question, the major question uh, behind this, I believe, is uh, what about consciousness? Uh, is that is that a prerogative of us humans and nothing else? Or as, as Lovelock assumes, it's like um, a sophisticated enough machine will have its own consciousness. And so there's um, all kinds of question arising about what world are we moving towards, assuming that this development in technology continues? Um, there's, there's something called Moore's Law in terms of the development of technology, uh, especially information technology. Um, Moore assumed that um, what was it? That the, the calculating power of machines would double every year. And that has been slightly corrected now, but then the key idea remains the same. And doubling every year means that it's an exponential curve. So are we going towards uh, a peak which will be like a singularity, a radical transformation. We have no idea of, so that's a bit like enlarging the future of work into future of society, culture, uh, our, 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 notion of ourselves as humans, ethics, there's a, there's a big blank space there, which it, it is reasonably to assume that that will be extremely relevant for, for not only the future of work, but the future of us everything. Um, so I'd like to just throw it in as an input, as a 
because I don't have any answers to these questions. Yeah. And maybe they're not so imminent, maybe they're not, they're not the future of work for the next couple of years, maybe not for the next 20 years, but I don't think it's not, it's not too far. I think it's less far than we ordinarily assume or imagine. What impact will that have on social structure? Also, um, will there be a, an age of coexistence of humans and cyborgs? and what that coexistence will be like. So I think I'll just leave it at that, at the questions. And maybe I take it from there, um, Shantina, because I was thinking about this era and the decisions we will be making in the next 10 years most probably will set the rules for the next hundred years because it's such an interesting time we are in. Because for till now, we believed we are the center of the universe as humans. So we thought we can progress, we can grow, and as long as we progress, everything is okay. And then suddenly we realize, oh no, we are a part of an ecosystem and we are destroying the ecosystem and if this ecosystem gets destroyed, we will be also wiped out with the ecosystem. But most probably, the nature is going to continue to live, but we will be not there. I think this realization changed everything. Oh my God. Only concentration on growth is not the answer. So we have to see us as a part of an ecosystem. And while we were thinking about this, and suddenly we also realized, wait a minute, we are creating something, meanwhile, which can be in the future more intelligent than us. And it's going to be the, for the first time, because till now we were the kings of the jungle. We were the smartest, the most intelligent, so we could do whatever we want. And now we are saying, we are creating something, and you know what? If our biological circuits can create intelligence, these electric circuits can maybe create the same intelligence and maybe they can be better than us. Yes, right now the computer doesn't have the brain of a mouse maybe, but as you said, this exp exponential growth is going to change everything. And then it also puts us to a situation, we are the gods of the machines, but the nature was also god of us, we are destroying it, and now we are creating the machines, and they might destroy us. So I think we are in a very, very strange situation, and I was thinking today, okay, our decisions of today is going to uh, give the way either living in a Mad Max or in Enterprise. If you can simplify it with the movies, in Mad Max is a lose-lose situation. There is no nature. There is no technology. We have only people in misery. On the other hand, in enterprise, we see that the humans somehow manage to live in harmony with technology, nature, and ourselves. So I think the decisions we will be making in this era is going to change the future immensely. Our relationship to nature, as Julia said, and our relationship to machines. And meanwhile, we will also, I think, try to enhance ourselves so we can keep up with the machines. So I think the lines between humans and machines are going to blur too. So if we can use the nanotechnology and, and all the biological reengineering and genetic reengineering, I think it's going to be very hard to say if that thing in front of us is a human or is a machine. So, and that will arise also a lot of ethical questions because there's going to be enhanced people 
better humans. And there's going to be normal humans who don't have the means to enhance themselves. And we're going to have huge political and, and ethical questions to be solved. And that's why I think in the near future, the, the nature of work will be dealing to control AI, to enhance hum humans, and to protect the world we are living in. So we will be challenged with these three things, controlling artificial intelligence, enhancing ourselves so we can keep up with artificial intelligence, and while doing it, not destroying our environment so we can survive. These were my thinkings of the day when I was thinking about this extremely complicated topic. But I think um, this conversation is amazing and thank you to all the contributions. It opened my eyes even more listening to you. Thank you, guys. Um, I'll jump in. Uh, I, I do think eventually there will be human-machine singularity. But to come down in altitude a little bit, I want to talk more about the nearer, nearer future to us. Um, so first, in the current situation, there's vast inefficiencies that I don't think people have enough knowledge about. Um, some of what Claudius was talking. And I think this largely has been a result of the linear and hierarchical thinking, right? And the supremacy of urgency in this ever growth model. So I think the mainstream folks are not necessarily aware of these uh, partial truths that they have been told about the current economic systems that's you know, running our world today. And I think we need to have a shift of mindset. We're not. We're actually not meant to be hierarchical, right? We're not meant to be othered. That there's always status, and someone's always higher than others. Someone's always lower than others. That's not how nature is. In nature, everything plays a different yet essential role. And in indigenous societies, very, very similar in many ways. Not that there isn't hierarchy, but there is much more differentiation and respect of diversity. And we're also meant to be local. We're meant to be a part of the land and not separate from it. Because the othering that's part of the linear thinking, while the main result of it is that nature is the other. It's a resource to be extracted which led to us to the situation today. So it's fundamentally, it, it's crucial that we start to see nature as us rather than, rather than an other. So we need to rethink money because it's a single measurement, right? Where it obscures all the other possible measurements. And it's basically blinders. Um, an economist called Jeremy Rifkin wrote a very long time ago how we could work three days a week and the rest of the four days of the week uh, would be dedicated to community work that is, that is necessary. We all know that work is done, but right now it's undervalued because it does not generate income. So the measurement bias of money actually essentially created classes, right? So the work of raising a child, the work of building community gardens, cleaning things up, uh, the countless things that, that, that people who are viewed as second class do. And we have to change that uh, because that's going to fundamentally change the fabric of society and change the idea of belonging. And instead of only those who make it to an affluent state, belong in society in some way, we are actually all belonging. And there's no better because of money and so on. And it's also a fallacy that money motivates people. I think we have seen plenty of research that the opposite is actually true, that we are intrinsically motivated to create and to do good things for others to be helpful, instead of greedy, always accumulating more, right? Because 
money is one of those linear mindset that essentially creates its own uh, prophecy of fear. And we can all easily sort of be pulled into that mindset of fear. But if we change the mindset, it the, the, the opposite of lack is not abundance, but it's enough. And the earth generates enough. Human societies generate enough. So we have to make the choice of believing that we all have enough. And from there, we can work from a different place of giving, of what Claudius had mentioned, the Khalil Gibran, that work is love made visible. It is, our, it is human nature to love and to give instead of what we have been told uh, in the industrial age. So the organization of work, I do believe, is networks. So we have examples, even though they're just in small pockets, but it's idea that we can organize more like nature. And instead of being committed to single organizations because you get a paycheck, and therefore you're sort of beholden in a hierarchical structure, and you're also becoming some kind of a slave to their mission. A network is more like we're playing in ecosystems where you give value and you get value. And we all have layers of richness that we bring. And so we can be tapped into different networks. We get some value from each of these networks and we contribute to it. So everything is more emergent. Each network does not have a person at the center. It has a purpose at the center. And the people can come and go. The energy itself runs it, right? And we, when we're aware, we go where the energy is. We, and we help to emerge what needs to emerge. Um, so yes, I, I think that's what the future of work can look like. Uh, I would say within five or 10 years, I hope that becomes a, 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 a relatively common organizational structure for work. And I do think that has, like so many things of nature, when we, when we, when we model ourselves after it the, the, it, the differences can initially seem very subtle, but over a little bit of time, the impact is very significant and fundamentally changes our trajectory. I'll stop here. But the question for me is, is enough in the nature of human? Because, Claudius, you have brought the Maslow uh, pyramid and we always evolved and we always evolved more and more and more. And after, I think, self-esteem, then, then or esteem, then was self-actualization, and now there's self-transcendence. So there's always one layer on top. It's always growing. And when we look into the nature, nature is always evolving and always growing. So for me, it's a question of, is it in the nature of, of uh, humans to have enough? I would wish to. Um, But yeah, I'm not so sure about that. And the other thing that, that you said, Ying, is also interesting is, um, I don't know what exactly is, but, but it triggered in me that we have the solutions we would need right now. But I think it was urgency, that urgency is underrated or unseen. And we actually have the solutions we would need to cure our problems, but our mindset maybe he's not ready for it. We have seen it now with COVID and what, what is possible all of a sudden, which was there all the time before, but now it's possible already. And um, I'm working now with a startup, uh, for example, and it has the solution to transform the way of learning what we deeply, deeply need. But there are so many block, blockades and blockages um, in the mindset so that they can't really go all their, their way. And yeah, so another question would be like, how can we shift mindsets or the con or, or like elevate the consciousness that we can adapt to those solutions or make the solutions? Um, yeah, 
common, common practice. And when it comes to the future of work, I think we're all in, in our own, or I can just talk for me. I'm, I'm also in my own bubble. Like I, it's really hard to see through, through it, like total bigger picture. And I think this is also like in human nature. But what I see from the area I am in and the field I'm working in is that the more machines take over and the more automation is happening, the more need for human interactions or human ideas, creativity and thoughts arise. Humanity, since its existence, to my understanding of history, uh, had a desire for a divine quality out there. There always have been gods. We saw them in Mother Earth, in the trees, in the wind, in the waters, in the many gods of the Greeks, and in the, in the one of uh, monotheistic uh, ideas. And this divine nature comes to my mind when I follow the uh, the narratives about AI, it's a promise embedded. It's a permanent promise embedded of salvation uh, and bracket fear or danger. But actually, it's, it's a promise of salvation. It will make life easier. It will, uh, the hard work, the physical work will be done by machines. Claudius, you are 70 plus now and I'm 60. But I can recall the days when I was a tiny kid when my mom had her first vacuum cleaner. And the promise which came with it was, oh, life will be so much easier and you will have so much more time to spend, <laughs> have leisure. Or the, clean, the washing machine or the dishwasher. Reality is, uh, Claudius, when you look to your wife next to you, she's working like hell. And people are working like hell. Now we have smart computers. So I doubt that promise, actually. I really, it would be the first time in technology that it would make life easier in terms of less work. So I would reconsider this idea quite a bit. And this, but then, but the philosophical, and actually, of course, we're talking about the philosophical phenomena. What does it mean to, be embedded in a or part of a paradigm called capitalism or growth. Uh, so this is for me the question how to overcome a paradigm. Because uh, what you said, Yang, when you mentioned networks and the nature of nature is networks and collaboration. Uh, Julie and I have been working with our clients uh, for the last almost 10 years on the idea large corporations of network organizations. And one of the last uh, big clients we worked with for, for a huge branch of this uh, corporation, we, with the executives of this branch, developed a, a logic of a, of a network organization. And it was ready to kick in. It was, after years of preparation, it was ready to, to go. And the last day, the owner said no. So we all of a sudden, we hit the wall of a paradigm called ownership. It belongs to me. Uh, so I, I have some question marks about the time frame we are talking. Uh, so the real question is, how can we deconstruct the paradigm? How is it possible to deconstruct? Because on political level, it won't happen. On economic level, hmm, it's happening and not happening at the same time. So I'm really, uh, I'm not positive on that, how that can happen. And the idea of controlling AI, well, if this box if this box is open already, I have no clue how to how to get this. Uh, yeah, this chin back into the bottle of being your servant and not the master in itself.
all these challenges right now we are facing, climate change, viruses, nuclear problems, political problems. I mean, now the humans or also the companies are seeing, I have to change something to survive. I have to be in sync with nature. I have to protect nature. If I don't do it, I'm not going to survive. I put a lot of energy to my people. They have to be good. They have to be strong. But I, my hope is these things are going to put the organizations to think better. Because if they don't think better, they're going to wipe out. That's, that's my hope. It's not romantic, uh, but it has a basis on our biology and on evolution. This is how I see the things that, I mean, Yang, you said amazing things, and I think it is possible, but not because we are good and we will understand enough is enough, but because we want to survive. And hopefully we're going to evolve and the era of awareness is going to come because of that. That's my utopia. This is how I wish the world... <laughs> Would continue. Okay, and, and I stop a, here. That's a great point, Celine, about survival. I, I do think that's a core motivation for humans, um, and that also for me connects with the Bucky Fuller quote, where you cannot destroy your old system, but you can build prototypes of new systems that make the old one obsolete. And I think often it is in the desire to survive that we prototype something new because we were essentially desperate and the old systems were not working. Um, and I do think that's happening. I, I do think to uh, uh, a Christian's question, I think the community layer is there. And because what we ultimately need to survive is not money. What we need is access to basic things. We need housing, we need clothes and food, we need transportation, we need to, people to help take care of our children, to, to educate them. All these things can be provided with very little monetary exchange. And I do think that is happening at, in different, in many different places, in, in many different experimentations. And I think that will continue. And I see today's young people, I think they are very much operating um, sort of at a different conscious level. They feel much more connected, partly because uh, connected to, to the idea of networks, partly because of social media. Right, that they know there are kindred spirits elsewhere. And it's not just, they're not just sort of beholden to the old paradigm of like a steady job, a paycheck, that being the foundation of life. They understand that the foundation of life is, is something much more connected to belonging and to access. So, um, of course, the future is always going to be unevenly distributed. So, I think in many ways, things are going to get worse before they get better in any way and that it's it's going to be hugely uneven globally um, but I do see cities prototyping um, aligning different parts of it in a much more network model instead of a hierarchical model and and Christian your example of the hierarchy and the network mindset colliding and, and you know like not operating is a totally valid one because um yeah, it, it can't, it can't, they can coexist in some way, but there's often a sort of one's lesser and the other one's more dominant. So the network model has to be very much on a peer-to-peer -peer basis outside of the boundaries of the hierarchy. They, it has to, it can overlap with the hierarchy, but it cannot be completely within the hierarchy because then it's not true. Well, I'm, I'd like to comment on on one point that uh, you've touched upon Ying and also you Christian um, and that's money I think a, a crucial question is what's the future of money um, money is in a way the ultimate abstraction it's the abstract form of all exchanges it's the abstract form of all movements of energy. And it has its own logic. Money wants to grow. 
that's intrinsic to it. Um, and that's a root, a main root cause of disaster. And I think it's also a root obstacle to the realization of the network model. So if, if we want to survive and if we want to um, be well and if we want to work for love and in a different, um, and in a network context, we will need a different economy, but uh, a different like notion of money, a different way of function of money. We need something else which is not money. That's a big, that's a big question, because money is so intrinsic to how we function on all levels. Um, um, I'd also like to introduce maybe another distinction. And, and I think uh, from what I've heard is that the idea of Buddhist economics and also holism holds a lot of ideas where what could be alternative paradigms and distinctions and discernments and also terms on how to build a different way of economy. And there's one key distinction that I learned from you, Claudius, that I think is really amazing, is that we, if you think about work, we maybe don't think so much about the purpose of work or what we can get out of it or the result of work, but what's the impact of the work that we are doing. And I see young people and also maybe older people or people like us are already asking these questions so what are we contributing to in our work? So not what is only the nature of work, but what is the impact we are creating? And, and we can like break it down to two key questions. So, or one key question is the work we are doing, is, 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 is this business, is it extracting to the whole uh, and extracting from the whole, so this destroying more that it creates, or is it adding to the whole? And um, what I learned in business school is very much to find ways how to extract most from the whole and to give back the least possible. And the other way around is the regenerative idea. And this is to give back more than you take. To, and this could be a different discernment, a different way how we value work not by money, but by the value it adds to the whole. Yeah, so I think that provides such a clear frame of reference to think about economics, to think about business, to think about our own consumption patterns. So clear what you've just articulated. I want to come back to the Maslow variety of needs and the whole question of self-esteem. One of the things that I was most inspired by, and this is going to sound so utterly mundane, the man that came to clear our septic tank for the third time now, our, our sewage tank, comes up the mountain with his great big truck. So I drove down to the petrol station, and he follows me up slowly with his great big truck, and then has to reverse this great big truck in that little. His name is Raul. And then he sucks up the stuff that needs to be taken away. He does his job with pride. And when he's done, he calls me down and he shines a torch into the tank and it is pristine and clean. And then he's washed his hands and he shakes my hand. He's a person of dignity that is taking our sewage away. And what you said, Yin, there are so many of these wonderfully vital services that people are providing in communities that is not recognized in the money system. But the money, as you said, Shantin, has become the trap about it. We evaluate worth by how much it costs, <laughs> not by, as you're saying, Julia, the impact on the ecosystem. And so we're trapped into that materialistic frame that says I'm only important when I can show stuff. 
my sense of esteem is actually embellished by the stuff that I'm indebted to for the future, and it's going to be outdated next year. Be that Gucci or be that a BMW, whatever. And so it is really this function of the, 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 the evolution of consciousness that is the core issue here. And, and being able to help folks define another quality of self-esteem, another quality of self-worth, is probably the greatest challenge that we face and where we'll get greatest pushback from the institutions. But what I'm seeing in Generation Y, for example, is that young people are starting to ask different questions about this. And our opportunity is to show folks a different way and can actually come to grips with another deep motivation of why we're doing what we're doing, but that in dealing with that threat, we're actually identifying a much deeper quality of who we are that is not determined by the Gucci bag or the BMW, then, then we can start regenerating. It's simply choices, and it's simply working with the resources and energy that are in abundance anyway. And so it seems to me that that's our greatest challenge is to, is to change that narrative so that we get our sense of purpose and esteem from addressing the challenge that we're facing rather than being able to beat the problem space. And how is that going to happen? I think we're exploring that right at the moment as we have this conversation. If we as humans start to cultivate the relationship with ourselves and nature, we will probably automatically create and generate a positive impact and make wise use of the machines. So I think people who, who, who are disconnected from themselves, from their intuition, from the emotions, from the knowing, and from nature, they are more likely to go into a more destructive way because they don't feel it, they don't realize it. And they are so focused on money, maybe all these kind of things. And then also misuse the machines and the technology. So, so this would be my idea. And I think this is also maybe what we are after together is, is to cultivate the relationship with ourselves, consciousness, and, and being sensitive with nature and connected with nature, with ourselves, with other people. And, and what I can see is that people who, who have been able to cultivate and strengthen this capacity, they, they make new choices. I can see it in myself. I now make so many different choices from what I did when I was not cultivating that when I was not attentive, when I was not aware, when I was not conscious. So, so um, I think every work that helps to deepen this connection with ourselves and others in nature, which is basically anyway one thing, and, and then also I would say technology, will probably support our survival in, in one way, but also our good life for ourselves and others. I, I, I think mere survival is a very low bar we are having here. I think it's also about enjoying life and, and create an environment that is enjoyable for ourselves and others too. And that's, I think, the challenge. And it's the first time in the marketing history that, the, that we have a two completely different target group in the same generation. And it shows, I think, also it reflects to the shift in the mindset and the consciousness level of the people. I mean, we even see it in the generation researches, how people are in different ages. I mean, it could be extremely challenging, of course. It's not an easy thing, but we see there is a big shift. I want to connect um, that to Shantina's questions, which is what can be a replacement of money. Um, and I think Claudius's example is very um, salient. I, I have similar experiences with my septic tank people in the mountains, right? And that handshake mm -hmm. is significant. 
that makes people peers and there's building of trust. It's relational rather than transactional. And because money is ultimate abstraction, I think it's inevitable in human evolution, right? And it's connected to this ever-expanding, ever-growing linear linearity, right? Because it, it shortens the, the, or basically it replaces trust. It's, it's, a, it's a mechanism of exchange that makes trust less necessary. And so, um, and also then it's sort of, circular with this supremacy of urgency it's like we gotta get on with life make more money instead of staying there have that real handshake and have that relational building time so i do think how can we make trust more visible right that's a replace of money so when i was at linkedin there was definitely a lot of talk about that because linkedin uh in many ways, is a trusted platform because people are real. Their real names and photos and titles and what they have done and their people, right? And we do tend to trust people where we know many people connected to them. So in some ways, it is a platform that works for that. But I also think ultimately trust is local. Trust is people you have met in person and you have felt their energy because I think we have a heart channel and we can sense a person's energy, right? And that handshake, right? <laughs> There's so much information in that handshake, how it felt, your body knows. So I do think um, there, can be, there can be abstracted tokens of trust or, or mechanisms of denoting trust, but I think it has also to be local. Um, and I do see experiments of that working. I, I mentioned before, um, uh, my life has been really changed by this local parenting group. It has about three or 4,000 people. So it's the size of a small city or a cluster of a few villages. But because uh, you know, you may run into each other in schools or on playgrounds. You don't dare do anything that's not trustworthy, right? And because you will get a lot of resources from this community, you want to be on your best behavior to build trust because it's a long-ranging thing. And people are also real. And <laughs> there's also children that's connected to all of us. So we're really, really real and really, really local. So I, it's, it, I am so not a fan of Facebook, but it is a platform that enables community building and trust building like this one. And I think we are, uh, I, I think that's a successful experimentation of what replaces money. On the other sort of end of the spectrum, um, I mentioned before uh, a business owner who gave his employees 70000 a year as a minimum wage, right? So really playing this game of money to make it no longer, uh, to, to make it enough, essentially to give people enough so that they are no longer stressed about things. So I, I think um, since money is abstraction, we need to first see it as such and then push it to the extremes. And I think that is some, in some way what crypto is doing, right? It's to just show it's an invention. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a formula. And we can decide to do things differently. And in the crypto world, trust is actually also the currency. It's by how much people are contributing, right, um, that they are become trusted members. So I think there's a lot that is being prototyped. Uh, well, I would just to respond to a couple of things that Ying said and Claudia said and we all said and Julia. Uh, one, one, it's like, the importance of, of personal contact, of that handshake and, and that parenting group. And um, the, what we know about the, the economy pre-money uh, is usually called the gift economy. Uh, also had, also had, also was an exchange. Uh, it has its own rules. It's like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, return a gift with it with something completely worthless but the measure was not the numbers 
measure was the relationship. The, what you would exchange would be in personal, personally valuable to the person. And, and the other thing that came up, and I think it's very important, is what you, Julia, said about joy, pleasure. And it's like survival is, becomes a motivation only when you're like really close to losing it. What we need is, is a joyful society, which is, and joy is very, is very personal, is very human, is very concrete. It's, it's not abstract. My close will be the redefinition of work as, in fact, life doing life. And as we have suggested here, to look at the vast ecosystem that is life, and to see that we are part of that ecosystem, and it is our living that is working, that is exchanging, that is enhancing and receiving and giving, that actually is the soul living thing. If we can have that shift into the nature of work, so that it's not about earning a salary, but it's about living, then the joy in experience can come along with it. Maybe the only thing is, if the future of work starts to see all the stakeholders on the same level. That would be an amazing dream for me. So not only the investors, which is the system works right now, but that every stakeholder is equal and should be treated equally. So as a first step, if we can manage that, that we have happy employees, happy customers, happy investors, happy environment, happy community. So, I mean, if we can put these metrics into the business life, I think we can step from survival mood to the joyful mood. That will be an amazing thing. I think this is my last thinking about the whole discussion we had tonight. Thanks. Um, for me, I think the first important really important um, merging or integration is not seeing paid work and community work as separate, but there that they're different but equal, um, similar to what Celine just said about different stakeholders being all equal. And the second point is this thing about trust, building trust being the foundation of work, because I think we have self-esteem when we feel belonging right? We're, we're tribe animals. So we have to feel uh, trust and, and relational uh, interchange with others in order to help self-esteem. So we cannot be truly connected to ourselves without being in some way connected to others. So this idea of go slow to go fast, that we build connection first and build trust, similar to what we have done even in this group, I think it's really important for the work world that we always have to be mindful of this constant abstraction of urgency, right? And to resist its pressure and to slow down sufficiently and be human with each other. Um, lastly, I, I do actually want to read uh, the little bit of from Khalil Gibran about work because I think he, he's, uh, he, he spent a whole life writing this book. So every word is actually significant here. And I think his whole... The, the, the whole message is, is important and connected to what we were talking about with AI and with human motivation, et cetera. So he said, and I say that life is indeed darkness, save when there is urge. And all urge is blind, save when there is knowledge. And all knowledge is vain, save when there is work. And all work is empty, save when there is love. And when you work with love, you bind yourself to yourself and to one another and to God. I think initially talking about the future of work um, and talking about AI, machine learnings, machines who will be at some point smarter than we are, all of this can sound really um, pessimistic um, and a lot to take from someone maybe my age who is 29 and has most of her 
of maybe all of her work life in front or ahead. Um, and I think anxiety and about this uncertainty is huge in my generation. So this is really a fundamental thing of my generation we have to look into. But for me, I think the future will be, I look very hopeful into the future of work because I see that more and more people come back into their own power as more and more people, as I see more and more people develop their own businesses, for example, or create side hustles um, or create side businesses and they take back the ownership of their life. And I think self-efficacy is, is, is a word or something that guides me a lot. And I see that and many people in my generation, like if they go on the streets to protest or the Fridays of future generation or yeah, creating their own businesses and creating their own lives. Um, and I think that the, the key to this is staying conscious, as Julia also said. Like, and I think as long as we stay conscious, we will have a bright future of work. So that's my, my take. Locality speaks to me, this idea of locality. And I'm of that part of a generation which where locality sounded like a threat almost for a, long, a large part of my life. And now I see how much locality counts when I just think of our endeavor in Spain, you know, village in Austria with us here and having spoken about the overcoming of paradigms actually when we speak about transactional versus relational we're talking about different paradigms and we as a tribe it seems we live in a transactional world and we are primed by that since we are came on this, out of the world, onto, uh, into this reality. But at the same time, we came as human beings, we came as relational entities into this game. And uh, it's, so it's more than like, to me, a waking up, more than a, so the shifting of a paradigm is a waking up. And maybe this is what in Buddhism or what Buddhism traditions call enlightenment or waking up to the, the nature of what it means to be a human being, which is relational, which is you, me, uh, smell, uh, touch, the handshake, uh, trust is the solid rock, not bank account or stuff. So thank you for this beautiful beginning of the conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, my takeaway is somehow what comes to mind that without love, everything is nothing. And, and this idea that, um, that work is an expression of love is something that I could imagine for the future of work. I think uh, if whatever you do with love is always helpful, is always adding, is always has a positive impact. And if there is a, if the quality of love is missing in an organization, in the work, probably the result is not great because the means condition the end and, and the, the energy that carries it and where it comes from, where you come from when you work. And this creates the impact, not so much what you work. So, so this would be my vision and my takeaway for how future work could be shifting and be looked at differently. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Conscious Consulting Podcast. If you want to dive deeper into the field of conscious consulting, become a part of our community, visit ccg-group.eu and subscribe to our newsletter so we can stay connected. You will find the link in the show notes. We look forward to having you on board. <music>